This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. Welcome back, as usual, Andrew Mercado, Media Week contributor, TV historian. Hi, Andrew, and happy Easter. Ah, same to you, James. We've got so much to talk about and so many great things for people to watch all Easter as well. Yeah, we have. We're recording this on the uh, Thursday before Easter. We'll try and chuck it up as soon as we can. But, yeah, look, a real lot of uh, TV to get through. Um, what, what, what sort of top of mind for you want to start with today? Oh, look, I guess uh, the big thing for me this Easter is that the ABC have released their new Aussie drama Wakefield onto iView. So there's eight episodes of that to watch. And if you remember last year, Ten did this with The Secret She Keeps, you know, and we were in lockdown last year and it's almost like Ten did that. Oh, they felt sorry for us because we are in lockdown. But, you know, that created some really good word of mouth for The Secret She Keeps. And I really hope the same thing happens with Wakefield because I don't think the trailers for it are very good. The trailers don't tell you what the show's about. And I kind of understand why there's that nervousness nervousness about it because this is a show set in a psychiatric facility and it's about mental health. And that's a tough, tricky sell. So I understand that the trailers are highlighting the romance side of things. But look, let's just talk about the fact that Jocelyn Morehouse directs the first episode and another four episodes. And, you know, her movie, The Dressmaker, was one of, I think, one of the greatest Australian films of uh, the decade. That's the movie with Kate Winslet and Judy Davis. And ironically, Seven is screening it on Good Friday at 8.30pm. And every time it's on TV, I watch it. I think it's the most magnificent movie. She's an incredible director. She's married to PJ Hogan, who, and she was the producer of Muriel's Wedding and Mental. So she's got uh, a lot of experience in dealing with this topic on film. And I think she's a great choice for Wakefield. And I think this is a really complex, challenging series, but I think it's going to be really rewarding. The first episode, when you get to the end, you kind of go, wow, there was a lot going on there. I can't wait to see where it ends up. Look, I don't know much about this, but I am really looking forward to it. I think it comes being made by uh, Jungle Entertainment. Right, yes. And who've had a lot of success in the US recently, of course, with Mr Inbetween. Yep. Um, they've, they both, uh, they also made Moody Christmas and No Activity yeah. series, which is Australian series, which have also been remade for the US too. And I think the new series of No Activity, which is coming on stand soon, I know I've got a screener link to watch it and I haven't watched it yet now, but now it appears to be animated. Uh-huh. I don't know whether they had some <laughs> issue with COVID lockdowns or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's a, an Australian show that they remade in America. They took Patrick Bramall over there to reprise his character. And, of course, they remade the Moody's, a Moody Christmas. You know, the Americans did a version of that with Dennis Leary. So they've really scored some goals. And well done to them for doing Wakefield and and doing something important. Sure. Uh, Another interesting, I think it's a drama. I don't know much about this one either, but I think it's a short form, The Tailings on SBS. Yeah, this is kind of, if you remember how much we loved Robbie Hood on SBS On Demand, yep. it was uh, six 10-minute shorts that, you know, a teen audience could watch on their phones on YouTube. But when you view it back-to-back, it's a one-hour show. So this is uh, set in Tasmania in a mining town. 
there's a very young, angry, feisty student called Jazz who's very upset because her uh, father has been found dead. Her grandmother is played by Chris McQuaid because I don't think you can make a show in Tasmania anymore <laughs> and not include Chris McQuaid, one of our most wonderful actresses, and she lives down there. You know her as the mum in Rosehaven. So two new actresses in this. This is pretty much a female story made by a mostly all-women creative team. Um, that's um, They cover a lot of topics here, uh, in it. I've watched the whole thing. Look, it's it's good. I wouldn't say it's great. I think that, that, that it just kind of missed something at the end. It, maybe they needed a little bit more time to resolve things. They kind of started something and, and some things didn't go anywhere. But, look, it's, you know, it looks amazing and the performances are great. And I think it's going to work. This one's very much aimed at a younger female audience and I think they will uh, identify with the feistiness of the characters. How does the 10-minute the sort of segmenting of it work? Is that okay? Well, I watched it back-to-back as a preview on SBS. I could see where the breaks were. There were short breaks in it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's easy to digest. You can easily watch the whole thing in one sitting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's good to watch out for that, the tailings. And, of course, you write about both of those in your um, Media Week column this week, Wakefield and and the tailings, and you you talk about sort of what else is around at Easter. Let's cover off a couple of other things. um, Something that really was uh, has been exciting people over the last few weeks is the exposed the uh caro meldrum hannah doco on the the ghost train fire at luna park in sydney it yeah. finished this week with uh just an episode that blew me away that uh that third installment just some of the revelations and the the details of of, of sort of I guess they haven't proven what happened, but the very likelihood of the involvement of people like Abe Saffron in the fire, and it was just just an incredible. And, and, and am I wrong to think that should have been a bigger news story this week? I was surprised it, it didn't take over more of the sort of, um, out of the discussion around the series. Well, you know, there was also the revelation that Neville ran. The Premier of New South Wales was involved in this. We're talking about the deaths of six children, six children who were viciously murdered in a fire. Well, I guess to be fair, they didn't link Neville Rand to the fire, but they linked him to Abe Saffron. They linked him to Abe Saffron and they linked him to helping Abe Saffron get the licence to get access to that land. And look, let's face it, the rumours about Abe Saffron being involved in that fire have been around for a very long time. And I think that Caro Meldrum Hannah did an amazing job in looking at this evidence. And it's very clear that there was a massive cover up with this at the time. I think in terms of television, it shows us the power of TV, the fact that TV can still be used for good and yes, You're absolutely right. There is crickets on this. There Mm. has been almost no talkback about this anywhere. And, in fact, on WSFM yesterday, Amanda Keller and Jonesy were basically saying, why are we and the ABC the only people speaking about this? You know, I would understand that it's not on the front page of the papers yesterday because the show only went to air on Tuesday night. But it's Thursday today and I've gone through all the newspapers the Murdoch papers and nine papers, there's not 
a word about it in there. And there is silence from the New South Wales government. And I think it's shocking that people aren't going, what are we, what is going to happen next? Yeah, look, it's incredible. I, I just thought this would be this would be major news everywhere the the next morning. But as you say, it was just look. I know these things have been covered in the past before, but I yeah. just think the the number of uh, witnesses, the number of former police officers involved in the case over the years, just what a great job that the uh, journalists did of a convincing them to come on and then getting them to talk frankly about what had happened. I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah, look, I mean, the the testimony from those witnesses, the parents of those dead children, to see that emotion still so raw after all this time. But also how fascinating to hear those policemen, many of whom are retired, some of them old. We're talking about old coppers and the way they spoke about corruption in their police force and when they're shocked by what they're hearing, you have to ask yourself, something more has to be done and said about this. I noticed today that uh, Caro Meldrum Hanna tweeted out a petition that's starting where I think it could be on change.org where people are saying to the New South Wales government, what are we going to do about this? You know, it can't just be left at uh, an ABC documentary. There's, there's clearly questions that need to be answered. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, definitely. Something else that's been on the ABC, it's probably, I think it's uh, the second episode screened this week. That is uh, Fisk, the um, or third episode. episode. We have the three already, aren't yeah, we? Yeah. Well, wow, okay. Um, well, I've only seen the first one so far, but, but gee, isn't that a great job they've done with that? Yeah, and I think it holds up to episode two. Episode three last night starred Colette Mann as a, a kleptomaniac. It was absolutely hilarious. What I love about this is that uh, this is one of those Australian comedies that the night it started, all I saw on my Twitter feed <laughs> was universal acclaim from it. So many people saying, wow, I'm watching this. I think it's so great. Well done, Kitty Flanagan, Julia Zamiro, Marty Sheargold, all the people in the cast. So many amazing guest actors in there as well. And to read about the fact that they filmed it at the height of a Melbourne lockdown. And I watched the first episode not knowing that. And you couldn't tell. Mm. Now I watch it and I go, oh, yeah, there's nobody in the street behind them when they go <laughs> outside the office. But you, you really wouldn't notice. It's, it's a fantastic show. And uh, really, when you think about it, James, I mean, the output from the ABC uh, at the start of this year has been incredible. They've done three new Australian comedies. They've done Aftertaste. Why are you like this and Fisk? What's been happening no. on commercial TV Australian comedy-wise? Nothing. No. Zero. Here's the ABC churning out all this fantastic new Australian comedy, and I think that Fisk is definitely the one that is resonated with, resonating with the public the most. Yeah, look, it's just brilliant. And what a, what a great cast, the, the sort of core cast and then the guest cast they've got on. The, I think in that first episode, Alison White uh, is, is on there. Yeah. Um, she's great as a as um as Kitty Flanagan's uh, new client. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how good's Kitty? How good's are uh, Marty Sheargold? Oh, Aaron, he's so Ken's great. But I think who nearly steals it is Julia Zamiro. Not not known for a sort of dramatic um ability, but she was fantastic. 
the hairstyle <laughs> and the way she walks through that office, the outfit that she wears, she is freaking hilarious. And I am loving Marty Sheargold in it as well. I didn't know that Marty could act. Uh, in fact, I'm seeing, it's interesting, I'm seeing a lot of comedians in acting roles now because when we think about Wakefield, and as I said to you, it's a tricky subject, it's a psychiatric facility, and you've got this nurse there, but two of the people he works with, one of them's played by Felicity Ward, and the other one's played by Sam Simmons, who was so hilarious in Laugh Out Loud Australia, and he's still kind of doing his shtick playing the wise-cracking nurse, which is really important to have light relief in a drama show like that. But it's great to see um, comedians who can also act because, uh, you know, it just shows how uh, diverse the talent can be. Yeah, look, there's a bunch of uh, international dramas I want to get to, but but before we do that, I thought I might just get you to... Now, last week you wrote a little bit about Kamal, um, yep. Daryl Summers, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Just recap us what has been going this week because Kamal's been out there sort of talking to everybody about his experiences on the show and Daryl Summers has been uh, speaking again. So where are we at with that? Well, basically, uh, Kamal uh, went on Studio 10 and The Project and then last night he was on 7.30 uh, and talking about uh, this clip that appeared on social media after Daryl Summers, you know, walked into this really silly trap that was set to him by the journalist, which was, you know, let's have a talk about political correctness and cancel culture. And Daryl went, hey, hey, it's Saturday, can't be on air today because of cancel culture. It was always just meant to be good, clean fun. And, of course, then these clips appeared on social media. They disappeared overnight. I spent half an hour watching them the night they went up. When I went back the next day to look at them, they were all gone. So something happened there, mm. but it's too late. The worst clip with Kamal uh, had started to be shared and uh, it's been talked about a lot. And I think that Kamal has been very dignified with uh, what he's had to say about it. I think it's very pleasing that Daryl Summers uh, has written on his Facebook page and he has apologised uh, and said that no offence at the time was was meant but that, you know, he unreservedly apologises. I think the person who doesn't get this is John Blackman. John Blackman has written some awful things on social media saying, oh, if Kamal had a problem, why didn't he come up to me in the booth and say something at the time? Wow, John Blackman, that is not the response. The response is to say... You know, back then in the 80s, uh, we, we, we made inappropriate jokes. Looking back on them now 40 years later, of course we apologised for that. Don't double down, John Blackman. Just say sorry. I'm sorry. And let's move on from this. Daryl said Summers. Uh, Daryl Summers has said sorry. I think it's time for John Blackman to uh, maybe get on that bandwagon as well. Yeah. Do you, do you think this will have any impact on how uh, audiences accept Daryl back for hosting uh, Dances with the Stars All-Star? Well, I think that with... uh, it's been very smart of Daryl Summers to put a line under it and actually come out and say something. It took him several days, um, but he has to say something because this has completely hijacked Dancing with the Stars All-Stars, which is something I'm really looking forward to seeing. It, it's reuniting the entire uh, hosting and judging panel from the very first series of Dancing with the Stars and bringing back so many of those performers. I'm looking forward to Dancing with the Stars uh, and I think that 
you know, Daryl's probably going to get asked a few more questions about it. Maybe he won't do any more media between now and Dancing with the Stars. But, yeah, I think that uh, we need to uh, – I think he's done the right thing by apologising and, and maybe it's time now to think about uh, how good Dancing with the Stars will be. A local production uh, coming up after Easter, uh, something I think was a big hit from 2019. I don't think it was on last year. And I think you really enjoyed it. Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. Oh, yeah. Look, I absolutely loved it. I actually did mean to watch it this week and I haven't had time. The previews are out. I'm, I'm so thrilled that they've done another series of it because when it went to air, everybody just thought it was the most amazing show and was so desperate for, for it to actually happen in their community and why don't we try and make this happen all across Australia and then of course we all went into COVID lockdown so I think it's fantastic that they've done whatever they needed to do to put this back on TV I think this is another show like Exposed that reminds you that TV can be used for something good and something positive and you know finding uh trying to create this community between little kids uh, and older people, some of whom, those older people, need some fun in their lives to get them out of their depression and get them out of their rut. Such a beautiful show. I can't wait for the second series of it to start. And I think it starts in the Tuesday time slot that Exposed was in uh, when Easter's over. So Easter Tuesday, if you call it that. Yeah, the um, ABC's really supercharged its Tuesday evenings because Exposed did some brilliant uh, numbers. It ended with the pushing the ABC to its best Tuesday share this year, and I think it's probably maybe its best Tuesday share in a year even. But um, old people... And, you know, I reckon reckon Exposed will will continue to have lots and lots of views on iView. Yeah, the the audience will be huge. Yeah, every person I speak to that watches it says to me, oh, my God, that is one of the most emotional TV shows I've ever seen. They're so blown away by the way the show was made and the way it draws you in. So people talk, that's word of mouth. I think it'll it'll have quite a life there. Yeah, and um, gee whiz, uh, that's going to win a few awards too, isn't it, I tell you? Without, hands down, it's winning awards. It's going to be a full trophy cabinet for all involved. Something that launches, we'll look at some of the international dramas coming through. Something I think it's going to be available from Friday, April 2, is The Serpent, which yeah. we, we mentioned briefly, I think, in our last podcast, but I've been able to watch the first episode. Wow, this is so good. It's, well, um, I can't wait to see it. Jenna Coleman stars in it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the people uh, I know who've seen it in the UK have just been really raving about it. I know our friend uh, David Knox at TV Tonight is a big fan of this episode, of this series, and, look, it's just fantastic. It tells the story of Charles Sobraj, the sort of uh, mysterious, sort of murderous um, chap who ha- hung around Bangkok. Yep. And um, created all sorts of havoc for backpackers. Uh, I think it was back in the 70s, was it the 60s? Yeah, I think 70s, yeah. 70s, yeah. Yeah. 
Look, and they've, they've just recreated the period in Bangkok fantastically. It was all, a lot of it shot on location there. And they've done such a great job of, um, obviously some of that footage was hard to come by of, of Bangkok street scenes and all that, but they've done really well. And my only slight gripe with is that they haven't used original music from the 70s, I don't think. They've re- recreated sort of music that sounds like it could have been for the 70s, but it would have been great if they just could have had a few of those sort of landmark tracks from the from the period. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. It'll be, that'll be my Easter binge. Um, it'll be The Serpent and Wakefield, they're top of my list. Yeah, and the the guy playing Charles Sobrage is, I think it's Tahar Rahim. Yep. I really don't know much about him. I've spoken to some people who say they like they've they've liked a lot of what he's done, but um, I'm afraid this is my first real uh, experience of uh, his work. But but he's great and he's very um, he's very scary in this title role. Yeah, but can't you, wait. Yeah, so so look out for that. I should mention the book too. Uh, Richard Neville and Julie Clark wrote about Charles Sobraj. Uh, the the Australian couple, uh, Richard sadly no longer with us. He passed away in 2016. But uh, one of my sort of boyhood idols, he was um, Richard Neville, one of the co-founders of the Oz magazine, uh, very a great and um, sort of rebellious magazine back in the late 60s. Well, you know, when I worked at Channel V and Max, we went on a conference once down to the South Coast Okay. And Neville came down and was one of our guest speakers when he was he was working as a futurist there. Okay. And he was basically talking about the future. I don't remember if he was talking about the future of broadcasting or what. <laughs> I remember too just sitting there and going, oh, my God, Richard Neville. I know. giving us a private talk. Yeah, major moment. Yeah, because I guess along with uh, Germaine Greer, they were sort of the two, two of the really sort of a charismatic, sort of iconic figures in Australia, both Australians and then who went and sort of had big profiles in the UK as well yeah. uh, in, in that decade. And just, um, yeah, both very charismatic people and just you could, you could just listen to anything they had to say. Yeah, for sure. Also coming up, or well, something I'm watching now that started a, a little couple of, well, probably a fortnight ago, I think, A Teacher on um, Foxtel. Yes. Now that's um, it's a remake of a movie, also called A Teacher. I think from about a decade ago. Yeah, uh, and the same woman director. She made the movie. Hannah Fidel. Yeah, it was a hit at Sundance, and then they've made it now into an eight-part TV series for FX in America. And I know it's been hugely, hugely popular on Hulu, and of course now it's here in Australia on Binge and Foxtel. Yeah, just thirty-minute episodes. So again, it's uh, it's pretty easy to binge. The interesting thing for me is uh, starring um, what's her name, um, Kate Mara. Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. of course, are Zoe Barnes on House of Cards, one of my favourite characters of all time. I think she was in Pose as well, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Season one, I think she's the wife of the. Uh, the husband who's uh, got a secret transmistress on the side. I forgot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's a really. Uh, it's a. I've, so I'm about halfway through it, and it's sort of, as you would expect, awkward, because um, yeah. you know plays a teacher that uh, gets involved with one of her students. But yeah, it's um, just fascinating the way they've um, they've they've constructed the, the story around the sort of half hour episodes. I think it's a it's a high school in Austin, Texas. Yep. Um, 
And so the this- boy is underage. Yeah. She is older teacher. Um, we should also point out that Ashley Zuckerman uh, plays Kate Mara's husband in it. Yes. Yeah, he's um, good. He's very yeah, good. But, but, you know, when I, I watched the first three episodes and I wasn't convinced, it didn't convince me that her husband was being enough of an asshole to her to make her go, I'm going to have an affair with my underage student. He basically was a bit bored and distracted at one point. But as David Knox pointed out to me when I, I asked him about it the other day, he said literally the first line of dialogue from Ashley Zuckerman was he came and said to his wife, tell me about your day. How was it? Mm. It's like, well, yeah, you're right. Well, you know, if, you, if you're going to set this woman up as she's unhappy in her marriage and she's being neglected, don't make the husband say to her, Hey, honey, how are you? How was your day? Literally in episode one. So I, I, I don't know. I, I probably won't continue with it, but I'll be very interested to hear what you say when you get to the end and tell me whether you, they get the tone right by the eighth episode. Yeah, that's interesting because I didn't get it that the filmmakers were trying to imply she was unhappy. That was, you know, I just didn't see. I thought she was doing it because she was a little bit weird and disturbed maybe. Yeah, Not bit, that yeah. she was you know, unhappy domestically. Yeah. So. Because you, you see the husband in subsequent episodes in, in his room. He doesn't even buy all that musical equipment. Have I got yeah, the right Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah watch so many TV shows, he goes, that you, uh, is this <laughs> the plot I'm talking about? Yeah, he buys all this musical uh, equipment without her permission and she's pissed off and they're kind of setting up this narrative that he's kind of off doing his thing and she's kind of, you know, left there feeling a bit, Neglected. I don't know. You, you get watch it to the end and get back to me. Sure, sure. Something else I've caught up with. I'm coming to a, a little bit later than a lot of people would have. Is Your Honor? Uh, yeah. It's it's on Stan, uh, an adaptation from an Israeli TV series. Uh, Brian Cranston stars in this one as a New New Orleans judge. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, look. I I don't really want to say what happens because it's really. It's um, it's one of the stressful is what happens, James. <laughs> when that first episode got to the end, I was going, "Oh my god, I'm so stressed out." I watched the I second know. episode, and it's there for me to keep watching. I found it really heart-stoppingly tough, hard. Like, oh no, it's just something goes wrong, and then that it just compounds and gets worse and worse and worse. I found it really stressful. Yeah, the um, but. This is just so brilliantly constructed, this this whole series, and I just couldn't stop watching it. I had just had to just get to the um the final episode as quickly as I could. How many was it? Six episodes? Eight? I think it's ten. It's ten. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I kept thinking they'd wrap it up, but no, yeah. that, it, it really goes to ten. But there's no sort of filler. That every episode is packed with um plot twists and turns, and but it, the I don't know. I, I always think it's American series don't create the atmosphere often as well as UK dramas do. Yes. Possibly one of the problems with the teacher. Yes. It's a little bit flat. They, they don't really create, but what they've done on Your Honour is just amazing and it's set in uh, New Orleans. Yeah. And they, carry, they catch the whole flavour of the of the city. Um. And it's just incredible. The character's very rich. Um, they're really fully explored. The writing's brilliant. But I just can't praise your honour enough. It's just 
so good. And, and one of the great things is it's, it's a bit of a bonus. I think it's about two-thirds of the way through, uh, Moratini turn up, turns up as a prosecutor. Now, she's one of my favourite actresses, especially after her role as Helen Soloway in The Affair, yeah. the long-suffering wife. Yeah, yeah. In the affair, one of one of my favourite series, probably of the last decade, and um, yeah, well, is her character fantastic? Is this sort of attacking, very sort of um, uh, aggressive prosecutor who's just the person they needed in the in the court case that ensues from what happens in the um, the first episode? It's interesting that you say that. This is an American series where they've set, they've constructed it really, really well because the British do that so well. Yeah. Because you said to me yesterday, will you watch the first episode of Life? <laughs> yeah. And I got your email and thought, oh, God, does he want me to watch some David Attenborough series? <laughs> then I w- went to the preview site and logged on and went, oh, my God, it's a drama from the producers of Dr Foster. And I started watching that first episode of Life and I thought, wow, the British are so good at constructing these kind of contemporary dramas that on the surface look like it's not much. It's a bunch of flats and a bunch of people living in there, a wife who's about to celebrate a milestone birthday, a woman who's pregnant. But, you know, the situations, the way they laid out that first episode in life, which is starting on BBC First on uh, April the 1st, Wow, you just I got to the end of that first episode and it was really late and I was like, if I wasn't tired, I would be watching this through the night. That's yeah, how uh, Yeah, look, it's great. I'm really gonna enjoy this. I too have just seen that first episode. Um another series filmed in Manchester. And um gee, they they do a great job though, as you said. Look at the some all the characters living in the, the same house, which doesn't have a big impact initially, but it it follows their sort of, these are supposed to be ordinary people and it's probably dismisses, dismisses them too much. But, um, yeah, just fascinating. And I think I've had a quick look at the plot summaries for how it develops. It's going to be really amazing how the th- certain themes, I think, follow each episode and the different characters deal with those with similar themes in different ways. And you're so spot on, Jane. This is something the British do so well. When we think about all the shows they do, all the contemporary dramas they do um, about people living and working today, nobody does it better. The Americans don't do it. We don't do it here in Australia. We have to create situations or workplace and construct all this stuff around a TV show. But the Brits just come along and just go, there's this group of people and you won't be able to switch off for the next six weeks. They're, they're the masters at it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you mentioned um, the creator of uh, Dr Foster and the, is is behind this one, Mike Bartlett. And and I think as we've talked often before, I think I mentioned The Affair was probably my favourite US series of the last decade. Pretty sure Dr Foster is probably my favourite UK drama of the last decade too. So it's a, it's a good reason to watch this one. Yeah, Life starring Alison Stedman are now on BBC First. Yeah, and um, just quickly, I mentioned it's filmed in Manchester. It reminds me I've finally been catching up on the last two seasons of Cold Feet, also set in Manchester, which I never got around to watching. Um, I think it was because it was originally released on Acorn, that uh, streaming service here, but it's now been, it's also available on Stan, the last Ah. two seasons of of cold feet. So look, 
it's, um, I don't know, you know me, I stick with something to the end. It's yep. not as great as other seasons of Cold Feet, but it's still pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's the cast's great um, and um, I've, I've really enjoyed watching it. Now, something, a couple of other things. Um, you mentioned Made for Love. I don't know much about this one, something that's also on stand. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it either. I th- it's Now, look, I think it's the, uh, the one where a woman gets some sort of microchip put into her by her husband that he's going to keep track of her moves. Um, I haven't had a chance to preview it. It's on my list. It's down the track. But it seemed to me to be the show that, that stands big show for Easter. You oh, know, this is Ray it, Romaro. Yeah, Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got to have a, sh- a big show, a new show for Easter, and it looks like Stans is made for love. Right, okay. What about something on Foxtel and Binge, Black Narcissus? Yeah, Black Narcissus uh, premieres on uh, sh- uh, Showcase on Monday night. This is a, an old movie and it's now getting the TV treatment. I think they're doing uh, three one-hour episodes of it. Uh, it's set in a convent. Um, it's a pr- pretty famous cult movie. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the TV version of it. Now, I'm glad that um, uh, Brickbox has been out there acquiring some new content. Uh, Line of Duty, the newest season of Line of Duty, is going to be premiering on Brickbox. Now, I've never gotten into Line of Duty. I've had people tell me that there's a season of the show with Dandy Newton that is unmissable yeah. must-see TV. I've never had time to do it. But I've, it's, it's been hilarious watching particularly some TV critics kind of on Twitter publicly saying, does anybody have a preview for Line of Duty Season 6? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'll hop on a plane and fly to your house. <laughs> How do I see this? So there's some real anticipation. And I think that's a great get for BritBox because I think one of the problems with BritBox is that they've come out and I had a look at their lineup and I just went... I get all of that stuff through Foxtel with BBC First and UK TV. So if BritBox wants people to subscribe to them, they have to start getting some content that nobody else have. Like every streaming service, you live or die on what's your original content. Uh, so that's uh, not a bad little acquisition for them. Line of Duty Season 6, that's there for Easter. Yeah, look, I um, I haven't got around to watching the launch of it yet. I'm a big fan of the other seasons, though. It's just a brilliant series that's got a reputation for having a, an explosive first episode. Now, I have been told that the first episode of the new season isn't quite as dramatic as some of the others, but it's still apparently very good. Right. Um, so, so I'm looking out for that one, and and I'm glad to to hear you um, give some advice there to BritBox because I'm one of the people who went and paid for a 12 month subscription when it launched because they had that deal where I think it was about 80 bucks for 12 months. And look, I'm not saying I've, I'm not going to probably get my money's worth, but um, I watched all creatures great and small. I watched them all, but I haven't watched anything else since. So um, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck no, into online duty. Box. Um, if Britbox were to get, they've got Coronation Street and EastEnders. Um, if they were to get Hollyoaks, a UK oh, stock yeah. that was dropped by Foxtel, I would subscribe to Britbox for a year. Come on, Britbox, <laughs> give us some original content. Give us something we can't get anywhere else. Hollyoaks is one of those mad, crazy UK soaps where they kill off the cast at an alarming rate, uh, and it's really, really tough for me to 
get a VPN and watch Channel 4 and it, it's just too hard to do. But if you put it on, and Britbox will listen to this podcast now because we're saying nice things about them. Britbox, <laughs> get Hollyoaks and I'll be your fan for life. Okay. Look, um, we've sort of managed to power through this big list we've had. I'll come back to you in a second for any other further uh, recommendation you might have or if there's anything maybe people could catch up on over Easter. So it's a good time for maybe because, you know, the, a th- what, a quarter of the year's flown by now, so there's already yeah. a few things on the, the viewing list, but I just wanted to pay tribute to Vikings. I know I've banged on about this one a few times before and I think in the last podcast I mentioned how I'd powered through oh how many episodes it was a lot of episodes I had to catch up on but I managed to get there I managed to watch the last episode on uh, SBS and I was just a little bit sad it didn't get a bigger send-off yeah I mean this is a series that it's been around since 2013 um, six big seasons, and I think some of those seasons had 20 episodes. Um, uh, the, the last season came in two parts, of course, but just the work of uh, the creator and writer Michael Hurst did over the years on this show, I mean, you look at the publicity Game of Thrones got for some of its battle scenes and the, yeah, the yeah. big staging events, but, you know, Vikings had these every week as well. They're just yep. staggering battle scenes that they had and the, you know, and I've mentioned before some of it was a bit too bloodthirsty for me. It was it was very hard to take and I some people just couldn't watch it because of that. But it sort of it, it fit the story. It wasn't sort of too gratuitous, I didn't think, because it was an incredible time in history. It covers the sort of... Yeah. The, the Vikings and their raids uh, across to England and what they did through Europe and they never went as far as the Middle East. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing that what this um, series actually covered. But, yeah, I just wanted to pay tribute to the, the amazing work they did. Uh, kudos to SBS for sticking with it. I think you can watch them all now on uh, Netflix on, de- on demand and that just the final episode was brilliant that um, Flocky, who was a character from the first, very first episode, stayed with the show all the way through. He was sitting on the beach looking out to sea with one of the sons of Ragnar who was Travis Fimmel who was the sort of main character and was sort of the main character all the way through even though he died, you know, probably about halfway through the season, the yeah. series. Um, but it was just incredible. So, look, um, if you've never got into Vikings, it's never too late to start. It's a brilliant show. Well, I certainly remember watching the first series of it because Travis Fimmel, you know, there was a yeah. there was a lot of love for Travis Fimmel with that haircut, and I noticed that Jeff Kenny <laughs> seems to have one very similar these days. Look, <laughs> look my tip for Easter is uh, 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, a bluey Easter special. Oh, well, good choice. Um, and, you know, this is so great because they, they did a Christmas special and now they've done an Easter special. And as we talk about many times, it's one of my bugbears, Christmas and Easter are non-ratings periods in Australia, so nobody makes shows that reflect those. And I think it's so fantastic that the ABC has done kids' episodes that reflect Australian Christmas and an Australian Easter and Bluey 
um, 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. That show will start getting downloaded on iView. I predict it will be the most viewed show this Easter, all those little bloody kids getting to watch their favourite show a hundred times in a row. Not that I'm bitter that they get to do it. I mean, you and me, we got to see a Walt Disney movie once in the cinema and if we were really lucky in our lifetime, we saw it for the second time on The Wonderful World of Disneyland split over two weeks and now kids get to see their favourite shows as many times as they like. So... Well done to you, kids. I think Bluey's a great show and uh, I hope the Easter special uh, meets expectations, as I'm yeah, sure. Look, yeah, and another shout-out to Ludo Studio up there in Brisbane. You know, they do brilliant work. Um, they deserve the success they're having worldwide. And, look, kids, I'm sure there'll be a lot of families watching too, so I think a few parents don't mind sitting down and just, just having a chuckle at Bluey in the yeah. background while the kids also enjoy it. Yes. All right, Andrew, look, we'll wrap that one up, mate. Look, um, Thank you for your contribution um, to anybody listening to this. Hope you are having or did have a great Easter and we'll be back with you soon. Thanks, James. Have a good break.